From Kindred Church, your inclusive church family. This podcast is a collection of sermons from our weekly worship services in Durham, North Carolina. Whatever your background is, wherever you are on your faith journey, we hope this message helps you take your next steps in response to God's unconditional love. Well, hello. Welcome to Kindred Church. It is so good to be with you. If we've not met before, my name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here. And if this is your very first time to tune in with us at Kindred, we're especially glad that you have. Um, Our scripture for today comes to us from uh, the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. The Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 14. We're looking at verses 3 through 9 today. And it says this. Jesus was at Bethany, visiting the house of Simon, who had a skin disease. And during dinner, a woman came in with a vase made of alabaster and containing very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke open the vase and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. Some grew angry. They said to each other, why waste this perfume? This perfume could have been sold for almost a year's pay and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you make trouble for her? She has done a good thing for me. You always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do something good for them, but you won't always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body ahead of time for burial. I tell you the truth that wherever in the whole world the good news is announced, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I don't know if you've noticed this before, but we live in a society that is very, very judgy. We, we enjoy judging other people as a, as a culture, so much so that we will actually seek out opportunities to judge other people, that this shows up in the way that we do entertainment. You know, just about every streaming app these days has a dating reality show. What's the appeal of shows like that? Well, it's that we get to judge the contestants, right? Which one do we like? Which one do we not like? Which one is a complete train wreck? We enjoy the judgments, right? Uh, Or think about shows like The Voice or American Idol or America's Got Talent. What's the appeal? It's that we get to judge the, the contestants, who's worthy of moving on, who is not talented at all. Sometimes as we watch these shows, we even judge the judges, right? That's all part of the fun uh, for you sports fans. I'm a, I'm a sports fan. If we're honest, part of the appeal of sports is that we get to judge the players. We get to judge the coaches when, when they're winning. We get to assign credit to them when they're losing. We get to figure out who's to blame and, and cast judgment on them. Um, when I'm checking out at the grocery store, I'll often notice the the tabloid magazines there in the checkout aisle. And what's the purpose of tabloid magazines? It's to give us material so that we can judge celebrities because we also find that fun, right? Like, I don't really need to know that George Clooney looks bad in a swimsuit, but apparently it's just fun for us to know these things, right? I completely made that up, by the way. So George, if you're watching, don't hold it against me. Uh, Or think about social media. This is another big one. How much do we use social media to keep up with our friends? And how much do we use social media to to judge our friends? You know, how well are they aging? How happy is their family? Uh, How good of a mom are they? 
How, how much fun are they having on their vacations in comparison to us? Um, or think about politics. And I know this is hitting close to home for some of you, but how much do we keep up with politics because we want to make the world a better place and, and politics is a way to do that? And, and how much do we keep up with politics because we, we really just enjoy judging people on the other side? We really just enjoy pe uh, judging people that we think are wrong. I could go on and on with, with billions of examples that the point is we live in a society that is very, very judgy. And here's something unfortunate, even within our very judgy society, um, sadly, Christians, we, we Christians were often known for being especially judgy. Uh, there was this study that came out back in 2007, which is a, a little dated now, but uh, th they found back in 2007 that among non-Christian young adults in America, about 87% of them said that Christians are judgmental. And I know for some of you, it's not just a, a statistic. For some of you, this is part of your faith journey, right? For some of you, this is part of your story, that the reason that you walked away from church or, or walked away from faith is because you got on the receiving end of some really judgmental Christians. That can be so painful and that can be so, so hurtful. For, for others of you, this is one of the reasons why you, you don't really want your coworkers, you don't really want some of your friends to know that you're a Christian because you don't want to be judged for being judgy, right? Or for others of you, this is why you're terrified to invite some of the people that you know to, to church because you're afraid if they find out you're a, a churchgoer, a Christian, they're going to judge you for being judgy. I, I totally get it. I, I remember um, back in college, uh, my, my college job was I worked on the I worked at the gym on campus there along with a bunch of other students. And there was one day when I was a, a senior getting ready to graduate, I was talking to a group of other seniors and we were talking about, you know, what we were going to do after graduation. And, and as the conversation turned to that, I got very, very quiet. Um, I was trying to, to blend in. But then one guy just called me out. He goes, Daniel's going to seminary and he's going to be a pastor and then everybody in this group turns and and looks at me with this look that was a mix of like confusion and disgust like we had no idea that you were one of those judgy christian people and and i tried to explain i'm not one of those judgy kinds but i'm pretty sure they they didn't believe me sadly even within our very judgy society we, we christians are are known we have a reputation for being especially judgy well, what i want us to see today what I want us to see today is that that should not be the case because the truth is Jesus calls us not to be more judgy than everybody else, but, but Jesus calls us to be actually a lot less judgy than everybody else. Uh, if you've been with us in recent weeks, you know we're in this sermon series right now called Different, and we've been looking at some of the practical ways that Jesus calls his followers to, to be different from everybody else uh, around us. Back in week one, I challenged you to memorize one verse of scripture. I hope some of you have been working on this. The, the verse is Romans 12, verse 2, and it says, Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you know what God's will is, what is good and pleasing 
and mature. Be, be different. That, that's a core part of what it means to follow Jesus. And what we're going to see today is that one of those ways that we're called to be different is not to be more judgy than everybody else, but to actually be a lot less judgy. As we're thinking through this, I want to spend a little time with you here in, in Mark chapter 14, because in this story, not only is Jesus showing us that we shouldn't be judgy, but Jesus is, is also showing us why, why this is so important. Jesus is showing us what we miss when we get all wrapped up in being judgmental. So let's take a look at this story. Uh, here, here's the, the context of this passage. Um, this story takes place on probably a Tuesday night. And on this Tuesday night, Jesus knows that in about 48 hours, he's going to be arrested and then he's going to be crucified. Jesus knows his time is near. And the disciples, even though Jesus has told them this, the disciples don't really get it. They're still kind of clueless about all of this. Well, on this Tuesday night, uh, it turns out Jesus is crashing at a friend's house. Jesus and the disciples are staying with this guy named Simon in a place called Bethany. As, as far as we know, Jesus was like homeless, and so he would do a lot of couch surfing, as you can imagine. So Jesus and the disciples, they're in this place called Bethany, suburb of Jerusalem, and they're hanging out uh, with, with this guy, Simon, and we're told they sit down for dinner they all start eating. You can kind of picture the scene. Everybody's around this big table in a crowded room. And, and as they're eating dinner, something happens. We're told that uh, this woman walks into the room. We, we don't know her name, but she's probably one of Jesus's female followers. And as she enters the room, we can see that this woman is carrying a small white jar. This is significant. So we need to pause here to, to understand what, what this jar is, um, because it's hard for us to know in our culture. Everybody in the room would have known, but, but we need to know. So the first thing to know about this small white jar is that it was made of this stuff called alabaster, which is essentially like a fancy form of, of plaster. And this kind of jar was not resealable. This will be important in just a minute. You know, most of the jars that we still use today are resealable. I think about like my grape jelly jar. When I want to put grape jelly on my toast, uh, I pull out the jar, I open the cap, spread the jelly on my toast, put the cap back on, put it back in the fridge, right? But that's not how this jar worked. Because it was made of the stuff like plaster, if you wanted to open the jar, you had to actually break the top off the bottle. And once it was broken, it, you couldn't put it back. That was, that was it. So that's the first thing to know about this white jar. The second thing to know is that we're told inside this jar was some stuff called pure nard which sounds really weird to us, right? What in the world is, is pure nard? I had to look this up. Apparently I was sick that day on, in seminary. Uh, I found out that pure nard is a kind of perfume. And it's important to remember, uh, perfume had an importance in the ancient world that we've kind of lost a little bit today. And that was because in the ancient world, there were a lot of smells that we're not really used to today. You know, they didn't have running water which meant that they didn't have showers, if you can imagine. And I don't know if you've ever been camping for a few days and, and not had a shower for a few days, and you know how like you start to smell pretty bad, right? Or if for some of you, if you're like me, all it takes is like maybe one workout and you start to smell really bad, you, you need a shower. They didn't have showers. So everybody walking around most of the time was pretty smelly. 
And not only that, but they didn't have sewage back then either like we have today. And so on people and just in the atmosphere, there was just a lot of really funky smells going on. And that meant perfume had a really important role because perfume uh, would help to kind of cover up some of those unpleasant smells. Well, uh, we're also told that this, this stuff called nard, it wasn't just a perfume, but it was this very special, very unique kind of perfume. I looked it up this week. Turns out nard actually comes from this plant that only grows in the Himalayan mountains. In the Himalayan. Now, I don't want to insult your intelligence and maybe you're better at geography than me, but as I looked it up, it turns out the Himalayas are not at all close to Jerusalem and, and Bethany, where this story takes place. In fact, they're about 3,000 miles away. And that tells us that this jar of pure nard had been imported, not by a big shipping barge, not by an 18-wheeler that could drive down a highway at 60-plus miles per hour in the first century. This would have been imported by merchants who were walking on foot, or maybe, maybe they had camels to help them carry their stuff. And what all of this tells us is that this little jar of pure nard was extremely valuable. Uh, one scholar I was reading this week estimates that in today's dollars, this bottle of, of pure nard would be worth maybe upwards of $40,000. And this was a society where most people were, were basically living hand to mouth. And so getting back to the story, all of this tells us when this woman walks in carrying this little white jar, people probably would have gasped. They were probably wondering, how does this woman own something that is so valuable? And not only that, but, but what is she doing with it now? Why is she carrying it into this room? And so the disciples of Jesus, they, they then watch as this woman carries the jar and she makes her way over to Jesus and then before they can stop her, the woman breaks the top off the bottle. Remember, not resealable. That's it. And then she slowly proceeds reverently to, to pour all of the nard, not a little bit. She pours all of it over the head of Jesus. And so what do the disciples do when they see that? Well, they start judging, 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 judging. I mean, they, they start ripping into this woman. And they say, are you insane? You just wasted $40,000. Do you know what you could do with $40,000? And then they start to lay the guilt trip on her. And they're like, think of all the poor people that you could have helped with $40,000. And so they're, they're judging away. And the whole time they're assuming that Jesus is on their side. And they're assuming that they are 100% right and that she is 100% wrong in this situation. But you know what they say about assuming. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus turns to these angry, judgmental disciples, and he says to them, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm not on your side of this. I'm on her side. Jesus says, she has done a good thing for me. And these judgy disciples, they're like, a good thing, Jesus, she just wasted $40,000. What is good about that? And Jesus tells them, you always have the poor with you. And anytime you want, you can do something good for them. Jesus is kind of calling them out here. He's saying, listen, five minutes ago before this woman walked in, you weren't concerned about the poor. Come on. But Jesus goes on. He says, you'll always have the poor, but you won't always have 
me. He explains, she has just anointed my body ahead of time for burial. So in other words, Jesus is saying here, disciples, if you would stop being so judgy, you could actually learn something from this woman. You you see, unlike the disciples, this woman, for some reason, she knows that Jesus' time is near. She she can sense that Jesus is not going to be physically present for much longer. And because she knows that, she takes the most valuable thing that she will ever, ever own, and she gives it to Jesus as an act of honor, as an act of worship. It's a shame that the disciples couldn't learn from her example here because 48 hours later, Jesus would get arrested and shortly thereafter, he would be crucified. And and when that happened, these disciples who thought they were so faithful and they thought they were so understanding and, and so correct that these very same disciples were taken completely by surprise. And as Jesus was going through the agony of his arrest and his crucifixion, The disciples didn't honor Jesus for that. They didn't worship Jesus in gratitude in those moments. Not at all. Instead, they they abandoned Jesus in his hour of greatest need. And many of them denied that they ever even knew Jesus at all. They, They should have learned from this woman, but they couldn't. They couldn't learn from her because they were too busy judging her. You see, I think what this story points out for us is that that's the problem with being judgy. When we're in that posture of being judgmental, we can't learn, right? And we can't grow when we're in that mentality. And and sometimes we're going to miss things that God is trying to teach us when we're too busy judging other people. I know some of you are fans of the show Ted Lasso, and if you've seen it, there's this this great uh, scene in the show where uh, Ted is is talking about all these people throughout his life who have judged him, and he talks about coming across this quote that, that was really helpful to him in making sense of that, and the quote is from Walt Whitman, and it says, be curious, not judgmental. Be curious and not judgmental. I think that's basically the the moral of this particular story, that that when we encounter people that we're tempted to judge, if we can resist that, if, if instead we can wonder, if we can ask questions, if we can be curious, then we'll be in a position to grow, and we'll be in a position to learn, and we'll be a lot less likely to miss important things that God may be trying to teach us. And so I wonder, let me ask you this, who are those people that you most often judge? Who are those people that you most often judge? It could be people in the other political party. It could be people in your own political party that you just think are not progressive enough or they're not moderate enough or or whatever. Who are you most often tempted to judge? It could be other kinds of Christians because you just know that they are so wrong and they are so hurtful. It could be people who have a lot more money than you. It could be people who have a lot less money than you. People who look different. People who have a different culture. People who do things with their money that you find to be wasteful. I don't know who it is for you, but what would happen? What would happen if, if you approached those people with less judgment and with more curiosity? Not that you have to agree with everything they think or everything that they do, but but just approach them with more curiosity, trying to understand 
rather than immediately to judge. I think if you did that, if I did that, we would have a lot less hate in our hearts, right? And we would have a lot more love. And we would have a lot less bitterness and resentment in our lives. And, and we would have a lot more compassion and, and concern. And maybe, just maybe, even if we continue to disagree with those people, maybe, just maybe, we might open ourselves to the way that God wants us to learn something from those people. It's not normal to go through life this way. It's countercultural to, to opt for curiosity over judgment, but, but Jesus calls us to be not normal. Jesus calls us to be countercultural. Jesus calls us to be more curious and less judgmental. Let me end here with, with one final thought about this uh, for you. Um, growing up, growing up, sometimes I would come home from school and I would be upset because somebody at school judged me in some kind of a way. You know, maybe they made fun of my new shoes or they laughed at me when I gave the wrong answer in class or they made fun of me because I got a bad haircut or something like that. I'd come home, I'd be upset. And often in those moments, my, my mom would pull me aside and she would remind me, you know, when people are being judgmental, oftentimes it's because they're feeling insecure about themselves, right? They're feeling insecure about themselves, and so they're judging other people as a way to try to make themselves feel better. And that's true, right? And, and, and here's something painful but, but important. If we're honest, that's true of us as well. Like in those times when we're being judgy, a lot of times what's at the root of that is that we're feeling insecure, whether we realize it or not. For some reason, there's something that's got us feeling like we're less than, like we're not good enough, like we're not worthy. I wonder how many of us would say we're feeling insecure about something right now. I think most of us carry insecurities all the time. All of that is normal, but I want to encourage you. The next time you're feeling that sense of, of insecurity, instead of opting for judging others, instead remember who God says that you are. Because according to God, and who God says you are, you never need to be insecure ever again. You know, the past few weeks here, I've been asking you to think about baptism, right? And, and in our baptism, what God does is God claims us as God's own. In our baptism, God says to us, hey, you are my beloved child. You are worthy of my love. God says so much so you are worth dying for. You're worth dying for. And so God tells us, listen, you're not defined by what the world says you are. You're not defined by whatever that thing is that's making you insecure. God says you're defined by my love for you. You're defined by the purpose and the calling that I have for your life. And so you don't ever, ever need to be insecure ever, ever again, ever again. You know, I know for, for some of us, we were baptized earlier in our life, right? Maybe as a baby or a child or in college, something like that. Uh, and maybe for a season, we really did lean into that baptismal call and that identity and we found our security in who God says that we are. But maybe for some of us over time, we've, we've accidentally drifted away from that. And maybe we've begun to put our identity into other things, you know, how we look, how successful we are at work, how much money we make, um, any of these things. And as a result of that, our insecurities have began to grow. 
And along with that, maybe our judginess has also begun to grow. If any of that describes your journey at all, maybe it's time for you to renew your baptism. Maybe it's time for you to, to, to commit to God. You know, God's commitment to you hasn't wavered and it never will. But maybe it's time for you to, to reinvest in your commitment, to lean in in an intentional way to who God says you are. Uh, or, or for others of you, it, it may be the case that you were never baptized before. And so maybe for you, it's time. Maybe it's time to, to fully embrace this God who is already fully embracing you. Uh, next Sunday, next Sunday, May 14th, we're going to do something we haven't never done before at Kindred Church. We're going to have a special service of baptisms and baptism renewals. And I want to encourage you, if you feel like now's the time to renew your baptism or to get baptized for the very first time, um, let us know that. There's a link in the description here, the video description or the, the podcast description. Fill out the short form just so we can reach out to you and we can implant, plan to include you next week in our service. We would be so honored. Uh, is it time? Is it time for you to, to come back to your God-given identity through the waters of baptism? Uh, remember, it's not normal to, to, to not be judgy, Right? It is normal to be judgy in our culture, but Jesus calls us to be different. And so I want to encourage you this week. Keep finding ways to be curious, not judgmental. Keep remembering who God says you are. Keep finding your security and your God-given identity. Let me pray for us. Oh, gracious and loving God, um, we confess to you that all too often we're judgy. And God, if we're honest, a lot of times when we are so judgmental of others, it's, it's really because we're, we're feeling some insecurity about ourselves, Lord. We ask your forgiveness for the ways that we have condemned others wrongly. We ask your forgiveness for the ways that we have turned a blind eye to, to messages that you're trying to, to teach us, to things you're trying to show us through people who may be different from we are, God. Um, we, we pray that you would help us to change, give us the transformation that we need, give us confidence in the identity that you have given us so that we can be free, not to judge other people, but to learn from other people and to grow by learning from other people, Lord. Um, we thank you for this calling that is so challenging, but it is so important. And we pray that as we follow you into this, not only would it change our lives, but that it would change the world around us as well. So God, we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If this message was meaningful to you, consider sharing it with a friend who might also find it meaningful. To support this ministry, to get involved with Kindred Church, or to learn more about us, check out our website, kindrednc.church. We hope you have a great week.